Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Yeah, I hope you heard that. You matter to God. Uh, yeah, I am the person that hired Scott Blevins, our pastor. I, I'm the one. I did it. I'm dang glad I did, too. Well, I, I, you know, just lift up a prayer right now. Just all of us say Kids Club. Man, that's the magic of what happens over in South Euclid. I got to tell you, I had the uh, uh, chief of police of South Euclid came to me. When we moved into that campus, some of you might remember, the first night we went there, we did a free movie night. And um, there was a shooting across the street. And I remember running out into that, you know, front yard. And there were young men, you know, being handcuffed, teenagers in our, in our property. That, that following Monday, there was a big fight in the middle of uh, South Green and Mayfield. And my son, who was our youth pastor at the time, he and I went and prayer walked that the next day. And we, pe- we parked out with coolers of pop and sat there on that corner. And we just called kids over. Were you in that fight yesterday? Get over here, get over here, get over here. And that was kind of what we sowed into that community. And the police chief told us after, after two years of being in that campus, he said, since Garfield Memorial moved in to this corner, we don't get any calls here anymore. We don't get calls here anymore. And a lot of that is Pastor Scott and Kids Club and what you guys do and how you give. You know, Bill, one of our leaders, was talking about that. That's widening the circle. That's connecting diverse people who share a common brokenness. Not with us, with Jesus, right? The, the author, the perfecter of our faith. I got so much message in me this morning. I'm going to tell you, you're going to have to buckle up. The Browns don't play till four, right? Yeah, we're cool. Because uh, I may keep you till then. Because, all right, we're going. Um, my brother told me to. Better together. We're in this, this series about reconciliation. This is a word that's been laid on our hearts here at Garfield laid on our hearts, that with the polarization in the world, with the divisiveness, that we're not to stand idly by. This is not for the government to fix. This is not for schools to fix. This is for us as the people of God to walk into that breach and to lay ourselves down as bridges, as ambassadors of reconciliation. I shared last week when God showed up at the Mount Sinai, when he made the covenant with the people, he said, I will make you a kingdom of priests. And the word priest in Latin meant bridge. We're to be bridges. We're, 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 to, we're to help people get back to God. And I'm going to read to you now. Um, I, I, I want to quote something by James Baldwin. Then I'm going to read the scripture. I think one of the most important stories in history of reconciliation. But before I read it, hear these words by James Baldwin, who said, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. See, 
Jacob, we learned last week, Jacob's name meant trickster or huckster. He was a con artist. Jacob was you and me. He was the dark side that we all have. Come on, amen when you get home. I know you can't say it here, but you've got that side that is a self-promoter and a, you know, an advancer and a one-upper. That's Jacob. That's the spirit of Jacob. Jacob was grasping, wrestling with his brother in the womb. And he was trying to always get ahead. He was a Ponzi scam artist. He would do whatever it took. But Jacob, if you were here last week, finally, finally had to wrestle with God. And realize all the wrestling he'd been doing with his brother and his father and his mother. And I'm going to tell you, this story is a soap opera. I went back in time and I looked at Norman Rockwell. You remember Norman Rockwell? Some of you, some of you don't. You have millennials, you have to Google him. But, you know, he used to make all these paintings and he had a picture of the American family. And I looked at that American family and I said, this thing is a lie. The real American families like the Osbournes or the Kardashians or Jersey Shore, man. Be honest, you know it. I mean, I look at, the, my, you know, if my daughter looks at those things or some NBA housewives or these stupid stories, and I get so mad whenever they flash on the TV and I go, good Lord, if there was a camera in my house, what would it look like, right? I mean, like, and we get this story of Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Esau, and they are so messed up. It is a dysfunctional family. Rebecca helps the younger brother con the dad out of the older brother's blessing. Esau's going to kill Jacob. He says, I'm going to kill you. And Jacob has to flee the country for 20 years. And then ultimately come back. And, and I, I've, you know what I listened to this week? I didn't listen to Christian preachers. Because this is the heart of the Torah, the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The five books of Torah. This is sacred to Judaism. So I listened to a lot of rabbis this week preach on this story. And they said, you know, that God doesn't put stuff in the Torah just to recount events. He puts it in because it tells an important divine story that all of us need to hear. And I got to thinking, why is this family, this screwed up family in the center of the Torah? And I think it's showing us the need for us to ultimately get to the place of reconciliation, to face up to some stuff that we've messed up in this world. So just hear this story with me. I'm going to read it for you. Hear it for the first time. Now Jacob looked up and he saw Esau coming. Now this is 20 years later. Esau has said he's going to kill his brother. That's the last he heard after the funeral of his dad. And, and now he's going back to the land and Esau is coming. And we talked about this last week. He's wrestling, he wrestled with God and now comes D-Day. He has to face his brother that he wronged. And 400 men were with him. So Jacob divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He put the maids with their children in front, then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on ahead of them bowing himself to the ground seven times. Now, you guys have been around me for 17 years. You know that word seven is pretty important. God created the world in seven days. And in Revelation, there's seven trumpets and seven seals and and seven bowls. Seven is always the number of completion or perfection. Jacob is bowing himself to the ground seven times. Until he came near his brother... But Esau ran to meet him 
and embraced him. Didn't kill him. And fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. When Esau looked up and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maids drew near, they and their children, and they bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And finally Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor with my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please, if I find favor with you, then accept my present from my hand, for truly to see your face is like seeing the face of God, since you have received me with such favor. Please accept my gift that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have everything I want. So Jacob urged him and he took it. Then Esau said, let us journey on our way and I will go alongside you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail and the flocks and the herds which are nursing are a care to me. And if they are overdriven for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant. And I will lead on slowly according to the pace of the cattle that are before me and according to the pace of the children and I'll, until I come to my Lord in Seir. So Esau said, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But Jacob said, why should my Lord be so kind to me? So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir, but Jacob journeyed to Succoth. Nothing can be changed that's not faced. Jacob goes home to face Esau, to face his brother, to face up to some old situations. And one of the things that this story teaches me is that the architect of all reconciliation comes from God. God is the architect of reconciliation. See, we don't do reconciliation. We don't do it. We think, you know, we, we, we put ourselves in the story too often. God orchestrates reconciliation. And our job is just to join God in what God's already doing. If you read the story, it was back in Genesis 31 verse 3, where God said to Jacob, it's time for you to go home. It's time for you to go back to the land and face your brother. Right? You, you need to go back. And the fact that God is working through this flawed, messed up family is a testament to God's single-mindedness in bringing about reconciliation. And if you don't believe me, God had to be working in Esau too, right? Because 20 years ago, Esau wanted to kill his brother. And now what's he doing? He's running to his brother. He's embracing his brother. He's offering a kiss of forgiveness. Where, where have we seen that before? Do you know a story in the Bible Jesus told where somebody ran to embrace a lost person and kiss them on the neck, right? Look, look at these. We're going to put those up on the screen. Esau, while he was, no, Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. And we have a, uh, the next slide. Look at, look at what they say together. If you put those two together, what did Jesus say? While the father was, the son was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, put his arms around him, and kissed him. And that's why when Jacob looks at Esau, he says what? Looking at you, I'm seeing the face of God. 
Do we understand God is in the reconciliation business? God was in Christ, the Bible tells us, reconciling the world to himself. I had the privilege in seminary to meet Alan Bosak. Alan Bosak is not a familiar name, but he is a black theologian from South Africa. He worked hand in hand with Bishop Tutu of fighting against apartheid. And I met him in 1991. He came to our seminary and he lectured us and he did a little Q&A with some of us students. And he was getting ready to go back to South Africa. And he said, you know, what are your questions? And I I just spoke up and I said, Dr. Bosak, you're going back to apartheid. You're going back to South Africa. How do you keep your hope? And he reached in his pocket and he pulled out a little political cartoon, that little piece of a newspaper he had. I've Googled this thing. I've tried to find it. I can't find it. But you're going to have to trust me. I saw it. This is not a conspiracy theory. I actually saw it. And he pulled out this political cartoon, and what it was, it was a picture of God who was reaching into the dust and creating like Adam and Eve, you know, like a little gingerbread man in the dust, and the angels are watching him. And in the distance, there's the earth, and it's exploding. Nuclear mushroom clouds, right? So it's like a nuclear holocaust. We are destroying ourselves, and what's God doing? Recreating. And the angels are looking at each other, and they say, He never seems to quit, does he? And Alan Bosek said, this is what keeps me going. That God never quits on us. That God is the architect of reconciliation. God never quit on Jacob. Jacob was a scoundrel. He was a scam artist. But God was continuing to work in his life. And he continued to work in Esau's life. And when when Jacob returned... We had this amazing story, and they wept. If you've ever experienced reconciliation, it'll make you weep. I got to tell you, friends, I've told the story many times. I had a, a friend, a ministry partner in my very first church over in Lorraine County, and he and I got sideways, and he got upset with me. I'm sure I gave him reasons to. But toward the end of his life, he and his wife called and said, hey, can we get back together? And he wanted me to do his funeral. And we met over at Bennigan's restaurant off of the highway over there in Elyria. And we wept so loud together that the manager had to come over and make sure we were okay. When you experience that kind of reconciliation, it'll make you weep. But we have to understand we're not the ones creating it. We're just joining with God in the work that he's already doing. So what is our work to do? Our work is to do what Jacob did, who learned to bow before others. We need to learn that work. This is Jacob. This is the one-upper. This is the guy always trying to get ahead. This is, you know, uh, survival of the fittest, Jacob. But he's learning now to bow seven times. While his brother's still far off, he's bowing. What would happen in our world if before we went to the school board meeting or before we went to the city council meeting or before we went out in the streets, we learned to bow? We learned to put ourselves down in obedience to God. God, what are you teaching me? God, what are you doing in me? If we could learn to bow before others, what a different world this would be. Paul said this in Philippians 2. I think Philippians 2 is the word that we need in our country right now. Paul says, if then there is any encouragement. I like this word, any. It keeps showing up. 
Do you hear Paul saying like, hey, Jesus dying on the cross for you? Did that do anything? (laughs) Did that leave anything in you? Is there any encouragement in Christ? Is there any consolation from love? Is there any sharing in the spirit? Is there any compassion and sympathy? If so, he said, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Come on, friends. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. What if Christians put that on our doorposts? What if people, that, that's, that's our mantra. Those are our marching orders. Learning to bow. Learning to be humble, right? Learning, learning to do that before others. Ania Quobi's come here and preached for us several times. She did our last Martin Luther King Jr. Sunday. is a co-author of Multi-Ethnic Conversations, uh, something we use here as a church, a resource to talk about things. And I was on a webinar with her this past week, and Onia was talking about her daughter, Cadence. And if you've met Cadence, I'm going to vote for her for president in like 15 years. I keep urging her to run. I think she's 12. Um, but she is an amazing young woman. And Cadence is a straight-A student. And Onia said, you know, I told my, bod- my daughter, who's a straight-A student, there are students in your classroom who don't have the loving parents that you have. There are students in your classroom that don't get the support you do, you know, at home with your homework and everything. There are students in your classroom that go home and don't have food in their refrigerator. So you have to understand, Cadence, that their C is very much equal to your A. And Russell Moore, who's the head of the Southern Baptist Church for a long time, he said to her, Neil, why do you tell your daughter that? He says, so she will learn to live Philippians 2. We need to learn to live Philippians 2. To have the humility to bow before others. Right? To put our own interests and our agendas behind. If we can do that, we can be ambassadors of reconciliation. And Jacob had amends to make. He had defrauded his brother. He had disadvantaged his brother economically. And he's begging him to make things right. And I got to thinking, not only is Jacob bowing before Esau, but so is Leah, and so is Rachel, and so is Joseph. And can you imagine them saying, we didn't do anything. We weren't here to harm your brother. Like, why are we bowing down? And I imagine Jacob saying to them, no, you didn't do it, but you benefited from it. And there are some of us in this world, we didn't do it, but we benefit from things. My God, there are people dying of hunger in our world, and I'm always trying to lose weight. We didn't do it, but we benefited from it. Jacob said, where'd all these flocks come from? Where'd all these animals come from, right? And as people of God, we need to learn that every good gift, what the Bible says, comes from above. People say, well, I'm not advantaged. You could have been born in the 14th century in the mountains of Tibet. You know, but we need to humble ourselves and bow before others and lift others up and do the hard work of reconciliation. That's what Scott was talking about on the video. Why do you think he goes crazy over in Kids Club? Because he's putting the needs of young people before his own needs and lifting them up. If we could learn to bow before others, what a different world we would have. 
And I know, I know this is countercultural. I know in America we don't bow before anything, right? That's our kind of mantra. Well, let me just say to you, think about the God who has bowed before you. God bowed down. Oh, so where, where, where did God do that? Remember the last night of Jesus' life? In the upper room? Remember what we were doing? You and me? Peter, James, John, the other ones? Arguing about who's the greatest. Wow. Right? That's a political argument. Wow. It's an it's a economic argument. It's a, you know, a sibling rivalry argument. I'm better than you. You're better than me. My dad will beat your dad up. You know, all that stuff. And what did Jesus do? He bowed down. You can't wash feet if you don't get down on your knees. And he said, as I have done, you shall do also. And what about God in creation? How did God create? What was that political cartoon I told you about? What did he do? Reach into the dust. Any of you do any gardening? Come on, friends. My arms don't reach my feet. How do you get down in the dust? You bow down. God was willing to bow down for us. And if you keep reading Philippians 2, when Jesus, it says, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He what? Humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Our God bowed down to reach us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, in case you forgot. And the Word was God, and all things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, not one thing came into being. And what came into being Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. How dare we not bow down when the King and the author of the universe bow down before us. And just going to leave you with two little tidbits. I got, I got two little things I want to say to you. And the last one, I already told Pastor Lawyers for somebody here or somebody online because I didn't share it at any other service. But the first one is this. I noticed when Jacob was able to finally do this and bow down before his brother, if I'd have kept reading, you know where Jacob ended up? It shows us here. It says in verses 18 and 20 that Jacob came safely to the land of Canaan. There he erected an altar and called it El Ohi Israel, which means the God of Israel. Jacob got to Canaan. Anybody know what Canaan was? Promised land. See, we can't get to the place of promise that God wants to take us. If we don't do this work of reconciliation, if we're swimming with too many anchors and all the isms and all the other stuff, if he's got, John was so bold to say, how can you say that you love God who you cannot see and hate your brother and sister who you do see? Jesus said, if you come to the altar with this wonderful big gift of money, but there remember that you have a fracture with your brother or sister, go fix that thing, then come back and and bring your gift. See, we're never going to get to the promised land if we don't do this work, friends. We're never going to get to our place of promise. And I learned this from an individual who's become a hero of mine. I want to tell you his story, and now I'm going to leave you with the last story from, from this story of Joseph, or Jacob. His name is Al Butler. Al Butler's not a common household name. 
Um, Al Butler was a federal marshal. I think we got a picture of him. Al Butler's right here. This is him. He walked to school what was called the New Orleans Four back in the 50s when they integrated the schools, right? You know the story of Ruby Bridges who integrated France School. Well, these, these young children were uh, Leona Tate, Gail Eddian Stripling, and Testy Provost Williams. They integrated McDonough 19. Wonder, it breaks my heart to see a young teenager holding a sign saying, all I want for Christmas is a clean white school. They had to cover the water coolers at McDonough 19 for fear the children would be poisoned. They had to bring food from their homes. They couldn't serve them in the lunch counters for the same reason. They had to, you know, put cardboard up in the windows so they weren't shot at. And these marshals walked them to school and stayed at their homes for, for months. Al Marshall right here, it was a federal marshal who said, I went to New Orleans to do my job. But he said, what I found in New Orleans was the righteousness of God. He said, I I found the purpose for which I was born in the lives of these young women. Al Butler had one regret. He he was a southerner. He said, I'm a southerner. He was born in Virginia. His family quit talking to him when he walked the girls to school. One of his brothers never spoke to him even up to the day of his death. But he said, I found the righteousness of God. And he had one request when he died. He asked his wife, could my ashes be buried at McDonough 19 School in New Orleans where I met God? And I'm going to tell you something. His ashes were laid to rest by Leona Tate and by Tessie Provost Williams and his wife. The girls that he protected 50 years earlier. Gail Eddian wanted to fly in, but she was going through surgery. And she wrote a note to her other daddy, who she said protected me like a father. See, when we do this work, what did Jacob say? I'm looking at you, Esau, but I'm seeing the face of God. Jesus said, let your good works be done before others. Let your light so shine that people what give glory to you. No, give glory to their father in heaven. Let me just run a little video clip of Al Butler's funeral. This sense of duty turned into a dying wish. This really brings a good feeling to me. Butler asked that his ashes be spread at McDonough 19. I'm so happy he's here. I'm so happy he's going to be able to share this with the girls. A humble man who wanted to leave a little piece of himself and history here. Pouring these ashes here, it's a sacred ground now. You know, no more fight. No more fight. You know, we, we need to bring peace, love, and happiness to this community. How do you think Al, Al Butler was heralded when he walked into the gates of heaven for offering his life? humbling himself, bowing down before others. That's our work, friends. It's our job. It's, it's not somebody else's job to do it. It's for the people of God to do it. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. You've been sent. That word in, 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 the, in the Latin is the word missio, where we get the word mission, right? You've been sent. You know, there, everybody has mission statements today, right? There was a time that that word was a possession of the Christian church. You are on a mission. 
When Jesus created the word church, the only time he ever used it, he used the word ecclesia, which means people who've been set apart, called out on a mission. This is not somebody else's jobs to do. This is required of us to be in, walk into the wreckage, to walk into the mess, to walk into the places and give our ashes if need be as sacred soil. Now I know somebody here is saying to me, man, this is too hard. This work is too hard. I, believe me, this message has left a mark on me. But I gotta tell you something I haven't told any of the other services I'm gonna tell you. I went back to when God, the people were in Egypt, there were hundreds of years of oppression. And God showed up to Moses, another broken man, another very flawed person at the burning bush. And he called Moses into ministry. And I don't know if you remember what he said to Moses. I'm going to show you the first verse of it. Uh, oh, they put it all up there. He said, Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has said to me, sent, sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to him? And God said to Moses, tell him I am who I am. He said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent you. Now look, I've preached on that a lot of my life. It is so interesting that Dre and Leah decided to start this sermon, uh, this worship with the great I am. I almost texted them and said, you know, the great I am would be a good uh, song this morning, but God is already orchestrating things. Did I tell you that God is the architect of reconciliation? And God said to Moses, I am, I am what I am. I'll be what you need me to be when you need me to do it. I am the author of life. I am the creator of all things. I've preached that. But what I haven't preached on was the second part of that when he says, God also said to Moses, thus you shall say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my title for all generations. You know what the Holy Spirit dealt with me in my office about? Why did God say he was the God of Jacob? Why didn't he say he was the God of Israel? Because last week, when Jacob wrestled with God, God renamed him. Israel was his good side. Israel was who God renamed him to be. But God said, I'm not just the God of your success. I'm the God of your struggles. I'm not just the God of your victory. I'm the God of your defeats. I'm the God of the person you're not proud of sometimes. I'm the God of the person that you hope nobody will ever see. I'm the God of desert places. I'm the God of, 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 of you know, no, no place. I'm the God of Hagar. Ah, the Egyptian slave woman abused by Abraham and Sarah, but I became for her a water in the wilderness. I'm the God of Leah. Leah stepped over by Jacob. Leah abused by Jacob so he could get to her sister. But Leah, who when I blessed her, she bore a child and named him Judah. Can I preach like I want to preach? Named him Judah who said, this time, I will praise the Lord. And she ceased from childbearing. She ceased from being abused by men anymore. God says, I'm the God of Hagar. I'm the God of Leah. And I'm the God of Esau. The one defrauded, the one overlooked, the one swindled by his brother. And I am the God of Jacob. I'm not just a God of Israel. I'm not just a God of your church personality. I'm the God of you stuff you pray nobody will ever see. 
And because God is the God of Jacob, He can work through us. His power is made perfect in our brokenness. So don't, don't put your head down. Right? And don't say, you know, I, I, I can't do it. I'm not all that polished up. God is calling you to this work. This is your work. This is my work. This is our work. Let's do it together, can we? Because of a God who loved us so much. Let's pray. Lord God, we're humbled in your presence. We're blown away, if we're honest, about this story. That you could take a broken person, a broken family, a very flawed individual just like each and every one of us, and yet bring blessing to the world. You said to Abraham and Sarah, I'm going to bless you, but not for you. (laughs) But through you, I will bless every family under heaven. God, stir up in each of us this ministry of reconciliation. Let us know that this is our work to do, that you so loved us. You said, we are your handiwork, empowered, imprinted with your divine manufacturing. And your Holy Spirit, as Naeem preached for us a couple weeks ago, has been poured into us that we might pour it out into the world. God, forgive us. Forgive me when I expand division. Forgive me, Lord, when I work with the devil's mathematics, which are division or subtraction, and your mathematics are always addition and multiplication. Help me, dear Father. Help all of us surrender ourselves. We thank you that you're the God of our Jacob, that you might bring us to El Elohi, Israel. The greater is the one who is in us and the one who is in the world. That you are exceedingly abundantly able to do more than we could ask or imagine through your power that is at work in us and in your church. God set us on fire for this. Help us have the spirit of Jacob and Esau wrestling in our hearts that we might go out and follow you who was in Christ reconciling the world to yourself and you have entrusted to us the work of reconciliation. Dear God, we're better together. Let's pray that, friends. Just say it with me. Better together. Better together. Better together. Together with you. We can do all things not on our own, but through you who strengthens us who then we can go out and strengthen others. Uh, You're just screaming at me, Lord. How can we say we love God who we do not see and hate our brother and sister who we do? Dispel that from our hearts. We pray a spirit of exorcism today. Dispel that from our hearts that we can go out and be the wounded healers that this world so desperately needs. Lord God, Holy Spirit, Come, Holy Spirit. I pray this. The break, tearing down of strongholds in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.